Some of my best moments within polyamory have been with metamors, with people who my partners were dating. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their funny, sexy, and fascinating stories as they take us on their journey. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches it a little differently. And at its core, our show is about hearing, highlighting, and learning from the different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it is important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect those of our own. So sit back, relax, and just accept the fact that your time with us will be spent in an awkward turmoil of laughter and arousal. We should also let you know that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. If that kind of thing offends you, we suggest you keep listening until it no longer does. If you're under 18, you either need to stop listening or go get your parents and you can listen as a family. The choice is yours. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 24. Today we have... I thought you were going to interrupt me. I was getting ready for that. I can't interrupt you if you stop talking. (laughs) Today we have a really fun interview with Amy. She is a polyamorous and... Last week you said she is polyamorous. No, you said that. Anyway, she takes us into a really deep dive into the emotional um, side of polyamory, and it's a really fascinating interview. Yeah, she ser- she she shares she <laughs> she sells she sells by the she sore. Anyway, We're on top of it today, she, she shares some awesome stories with us and some some. It's it was just a it was a really great conversation. So we wanted to thank her up front mm-hmm. for reaching out to us and for being willing to do that. It was fantastic. Yeah, so I don't think we have too much to say today. We're going to uh, let you know again, or you can find us on our website. Please reach out to us on our website if you want to come on the show. We're really looking for anyone and everyone uh, who is interested, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Our website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can also reach out just to say hi or for sure. tell us how amazing we are. <laughs> or to leave feedback. We'd love to hear from that, too. About Positive that positive reinforcing feedback about that would how amazing be that would be are. appreciated that would be better um you can find us also on twitter and cassidy under the screen name nnm podcast and on cassidy if you aren't a member of cassidy you could join that for free i've decided i'm gonna post i have a really sexy picture of me spatch cocking a chicken <laughs> butt ass naked so if you want to see that picture you need to go to Cassidy, and if you don't have an account, you can get a 30-day free trial to see this picture of me cooking a chicken naked. Using and, the link on our resources page. Yep. Now we can let you go listen to Amy. Okay, let's go. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and thank you to Amy for reaching out to us. She was uh, referred to us by one of her partners who was actually on the show way back in the beginning and, and reached out and wanted to come on the show, so thank you to her and if you don't mind Amy telling us a little more about yourself who you are and what non-monogamy looks like for you sure hi and thanks for having me on here it's uh it's really fun um I like talking about myself (laughs) absolutely that's good (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah I'm Amy um I am about to turn 35 I am polyamorous. Um, and what that looks like for me is I have multiple ongoing, uh, romantic and sexual partnerships with different people. I came to that like 
uh, about four years ago. But, uh, you know, aside from that, in my spare time, I enjoy like socializing. I do karaoke. Um, I love reading. I love watching TV. I have so many TV shows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, so how, I mean, so what made you start looking into it a couple of years back? Yeah. So for a really long time, I was married. I am still technically married, but uh, that's in the process of ending. But my husband and I had, from the beginning of our relationship, been very open about just like talking about monogamy and non-monogamy and what that looked like and what we felt comfortable with. Thank you, Dan Savage, for all of that. (laughs) I mean, a lot of the early conversations were along the lines of like, oh, you know, uh, what would happen if one of us got sick one day and like wasn't able to uh, be sexual and like, what would we feel comfortable with? And and then there were some conversations like, oh, like group sex, like that could be fun. What would that look like? And and then... uh, One day, I don't know, maybe a year after we got married, I'm talking to him in the car and I'm going like, you know, there's this guy and he's like, he works at this sandwich shop that I go to for lunch bunch. Like, he's kind of cute. I think I kind of have a crush on him. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband goes like, well, would you want to do something about that? I'm like, oh, oh, that's not, that's not why I brought this up at all. Uh, uh, why do you want to, why do you want to have a conversation? He's like, yeah, let's, let's have a conversation. I'm like, okay. So we sat down and we had a, you know, a real conversation about what opening up would look like and um, read some books and negotiated a bunch of boundaries and rules and all the sort of like stereotypical stuff that like people start out with when they enter into non-monogamy as a couple. And then sort of dove into it and it evolved pretty quickly from this very like generic non-monogamy sort of thing to polyamory for a number of reasons. One of those being that I think for for entirely different reasons, both he and I felt just more like comfortable and connected in the idea of sex with people we actually like got to know and liked as human beings, um, like over Mm -hmm. a period of time. And so it just sort of evolved naturally from that, that the more that we dove into it, the more we were like, Oh, actually it would be kind of great to have like ongoing emotional and romantic connections with the people that we're having sex with. Yeah. And, uh, and it kind of evolved from there and from this like very hierarchical, like, we have rules, we have veto, we have all this stuff to, oh no, actually we want to um, be more egalitarian. We want to have more of like a relationship anarchy kind of approach to this. And like, it, it has been an amazing journey, even though, you know, that particular relationship didn't work out. Like it has now become a part of my identity and um, sort of my values and how I approach the world. Right. Yeah. I was curious. So you mentioned early on that part of your conversations involved some discussions around group sex. Did you mm-hmm. did you guys ever explore the the swinging side of things, or did you pretty much go straight into that polyamory was going to be a better fit for you guys? So I would say we did have group sex, but um, I would say that all of the group sex we had was more in a polyamory related context. So one of the, uh, really early experiences we had, um, actually both of the really early experiences we had with that was with a particular, 
uh, couple where I just so, and this was not something we planned at all, but I just so happened to be dating the the man in the couple and he just so happened to be dating the woman in the couple. And we were like, well, this kind of seems like it could be fun. And then another one of the times it was, oh, I'm dating somebody and, you know, he fought my husband finds the other person attractive too. And it also happened that like all four of us were queer. And so we were all attracted to everybody. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, that ended up being a really fun experience too. And then a couple of the experiences later on ended up being again, like through relationships we had already established. So it was never like we were going in, you know, sort of with like, people that we had never really super connected with before and, and yeah. just going in the explicit intention of having sex. But like all of those situations were very much negotiated with existing partners. Um, yeah. With, with sex, yeah. it seems like as a key aspect, but not the only aspect, right? From Yeah. Yeah. I would say for me, like sex is a recreational thing that I'm only really interested in doing with people I already like. And it's not like, and it's, it's 0% of value judgment and it's a hundred percent just the way my particular attraction to people works. So like I am attracted to people who I like right. as people, as human beings. And then I'm like, all right, cool. And so that means that for me, like sex in the context of relationships or sex, you know, with somebody I'm really, really like clicking and bonding with and want to establish something with, or like friends with benefits, you know, like all of these sorts of things like work well for me. Um, I have partners who swing and that works really well for them too. And so it's like, it's interesting to see sort of that, um, Venn diagram of, of where everything lays out because one of my partners sees a very sort of distinct difference between the swinging that they do and their poly relationships. And then another one doesn't really see much of a difference at all and sees the whole thing as sort of just like a fluid spectrum that can look a lot of different ways. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Another real, I'm going to cut you off. Emma, okay, that's a <laughs> super important question that I know everyone is dying to know. Did you ask the sandwich guy out? <laughs> Good yeah. Um, you know, that's its own funny story. But I, so I was very nervous. And I, you know, it was one of those things where, like, I was so new into it. Like, how do you approach this? Like, how do you know if they'd be open to, like, doing something with, Somebody they, A, they've never met, but B, like, is married and, like, has a wedding ring on. And um, it was one of these things where I'd come into the sandwich shop and he'd be like, oh, Amy, it's so good to see you. And he'd, like, chat with me a whole bunch. And so I was definitely getting a vibe. And But, it, you know, at the same time, when you're talking about somebody in, um, like, a service industry who right, right. is paid to uh, be nice to you, yeah. um, you don't want to, like, assume that that means anything. And so what I ended up doing was um, I had a, a day off from work that I just so happened to knew, know that, like, he was going to be working that day because he'd mentioned it. And I had sort of figured out when shift changes happened. Um <laughs> And so I was like, all right, I'm going to come in and get, uh, uh, some ice cream, like about half an hour before the shift change ends. And I'm just going to sit down and eat my ice cream. And if he stops by to talk to me and stays after his shift, then, you know, then I know, right? Like it's a very low pressure thing. And if he leaves, he leaves like no pressure. And I come in, he immediately starts talking to me. He gets some ice cream of his own, sits down with me. We have this like two hour long, amazing conversation. Um, We exchange phone numbers. I'm just going, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Like, and then 
it just completely fizzled and died. <laughs> like just nothing ever came of it. And, and that was fine too. He was, he was actually significantly younger than me and it was already just like, Oh, I don't know. This is maybe like, it could be fun. Like, I don't know, maybe we could make out sometime, but it's, you know, I, I, and now in retrospect, I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it was the catalyst that got the conversation. It sounds like it was the yeah. catalyst that got the conversation going right. for you guys, yes. which is really yeah. cool. And I mean, I think that would have happened anyway because, you know, my husband said at the time that – not like at that exact time, but later on we were having a conversation um, where I had said, you know, I think that I never struggled with monogamy. Like I know a lot of people who – like struggled within the confines of monogamy and polyamory therefore, or swinging or openness or whatever else was just a better fit for them as human beings. And for me, I never struggled with it. Like I never was tempted to cheat. I was never feeling confined by it, but having done it, having been there, I've been fundamentally changed by it. You know, like I, it's now a part of who I am, Mm -hmm. but me saying, I, you know, I think I would have been perfectly happy always being monogamous. And my husband said, well, I don't think I would have been. And so I think that conversation was going to come up anyway. Um, and he was just kind of latching on to the, the, um, the, that, you know, seemed like a good opening, which was fine. Like, you know, we were, I would never felt pressured into it. I never, you know, felt like, I was being dragged into it. Neither of us, I think, regretted the decision to do it at all. Do you think you could go back now to to being monogamous? (laughs) I don't, no. Um, And it's, you know, it's not about the sex. Uh, It's it's really about my perspective on relationships and this idea of having autonomy and um, having ownership over my own body and my own emotions and the idea of love without possessiveness. Uh And the other part of it too, like that, I think one of the biggest draws for me specifically to polyamory is this idea of a network of people who all care about each other, who are a community, who are a support system. Some of my best moments within polyamory have been with metamors, with people who my partners were dating, because there's this really joyful thing in being able to connect with somebody who cares deeply about the same person that you care about and feeling like you're on, like everybody's on the same team. It's like this really like lovely, powerful thing that like I, I deeply treasure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome too that the, the, you don't jump to a competitive nature in that sense, yeah. which I think would be easy for people to see like, Oh, I'm gonna. I'm competing with the metamor of my partner, but rather you're not. You're you're on the same team. You're trying to make the person. Your goal is to make that person happy, not, right? Not to fight over who makes them happy. Exactly. I mean, you know, and that's always one of those things that can be easier said than done, right? Like jealousy is a thing that happens. Like it's not like being poly or being open makes you just suddenly so evolved and you never experience any jealousies and any insecurities or anything like that. It's just, it's more like, it's not the, it's, it's not an emotion that's an imperative to act on. It's, it's something you talk about and you work through and you work on. So, you know, I, I love that too. Like, I, I love this idea of, you know, openness being an opportunity for personal growth, like constant, like 
introspection and going like, all right, what what is my real fear here? And what can I do to improve? And how can I improve my communication and, and understand myself better? Right. Yeah. I was actually curious. It sounds like you have had some pretty good relationships with the metamors of your partners. Have you ever gotten jealous and actually gone to that person and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I love you. I'm super happy that you're here, but I'm, I'm feeling these things. And like, have you ever had to work through jealousy with the person you're jealous of? Um, that's an interesting question. And I, I think some, to some degree, the answer is yes, but it was, it was not, it was not a conversation of like, and therefore I need you to do a thing. It was more a really wonderful conversation that I had with now an ex metamore where we were both just being very honest and open about like the insecurities that we had around mm-hmm. just, you know, the, the shared partner and partners actually that we had. And it, it ended up being a, a real bonding experience because like, I think it's really tempting to see your partner's partners as the most amazing people you've, you know, like, oh my gosh, they're just, how could I possibly compete? They're so great. They're so amazing. Like I feel so like adequate compared to them. And then when you talk to them, they're like, oh, like, but you're great. And I'm insecure of all these things. Like you're really amazing in all these ways. It's like, oh, we're both human beings. (laughs) Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. I mean, that, that everyone's just human and that's yeah. what you got to remember in a lot of these situations, but it doesn't mean that jealousy and those feelings don't come up sometimes. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes jealousy can be a really useful emotion too, because yes, yeah, sometimes jealousy is about yourself. It's about your fears and your insecurities and stuff, but sometimes jealousy is actually a useful emotion to tell you that, oh, like I'm not feeling secure in this relationship for specific reasons that actually do need to get addressed and that I need to talk through. And like, it's, it's really helpful to be kind of tuned into that as well and not necessarily approach it in like a, like a blamey sort of way, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, look how you made me feel, but more like, Hey, like this thing that's happening is kind of making me feel insecure and unhappy. And can we talk about different ways to approach it? Right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you'd also said that you guys moved pretty quick from the first time you guys had that conversation into some type of action. What did what did that process look like for you guys when you were first getting started? And, and kind of how long did that take? Yeah, so I guess we had that conversation, and then, I don't know, maybe within a month, he had a, at least a date scheduled that he had gotten from OkCupid and was, like, you know, starting to hook up with that person. And I took a little bit longer, but I, know, I would say within a few months, I'd been on a couple dates and then established an ongoing connection with somebody that lasted about 10 months, which was an interesting journey in and of itself because I was still figuring out what I wanted out of this whole non-monogamy thing and like exploring that. And the person that I was dating at the time, I don't think was specifically identifying as polyamorous, just sort of non-monogamous. And so I was, I was having a lot of feelings of like, Oh, I don't know where we stand and this feels weird and I'm enjoying it. But like, uh, (laughs) and you know, and he was a, a lovely human being and like, I enjoyed spending that time with him. But ultimately I think that sort of undefinedness ended up being part of what ended things because 
I don't think he really understood what he was looking for out of it. And I didn't really understand what I was looking for out of it. And, um, and then he actually just ended up ghosting (laughs) after 10 months, Wow, (laughs) which was, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a real shame too, because like I had kind of, I was sort of seeing the end coming and I was like, well, you know, that's going to be a bummer, but like, I feel like we're going to still be friends after this. Like we can still like chat and hang out and whatever. And then him just completely, dropping off the face of the earth was like, Oh, well, not only did you ruin that, but now I feel really kind of disposable and like uncomfortable. And especially after 10 months, like that's, you you don't, you're not really don't, don't ghost anybody at any time, but 10 months, like a long, long term thing. (laughs) Yeah. I had met his mom, (laughs) but you know, the interesting thing about that period too, was that at that point, Um, the only person I was dating was my husband and he was in a relationship with somebody. And so I, I had this sort of period of time where I was really reflecting on what it is that I wanted and what it was that I was getting out of polyamory. And I started doing a lot of reading and a lot of research and really diving into all of the resources I could find. I like, I started, you know, a Tumblr and, (laughs) um, wrote my feelings and like found other poly tumblers and read more than two and like a whole bunch of other poly literature that I could find and just kind of dove in head first and said, like, is this what I want? What do I want? And the conclusion that I came to is that it, I absolutely wanted it. I wanted it more than I even realized that I wanted it before. And since then, that has been really helpful because now, um, you know, aside from it being a thing I'm doing, poly is also sort of a thing that I'm interested in as a subject. And so, like, I am, you know, continuing to sort of read all of that literature and enjoy that. But also all of the relationships that I've had since then have been a lot more intentional. And that's been really wonderful. Yeah. When you, you said backing up a tiny bit, you said when you guys Mm -hmm. first started, your husband got a partner first. How, how did that make you feel? I guess, was that okay with you? Was it a little bit weird at times, I guess, to, to see him with someone else while you were still trying to figure out what at the very beginning, what it all meant? Um, so that particular partner did not last very long. There was like, I think they went on three dates total. And so I never actually met her while they were seeing each other. I have since like sort of met her and seen her at different events and stuff. And it was one of those weird, small poly community things where like that person has actually been on dates with like a whole bunch of people, poly people that I know. And so I'm like, Oh, I can draw this map. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's, that's fun in and of itself. But, uh, that there, there was sort of like a, a moment of like, how am I going to feel about this? I'm, I, I don't know. And when he came home and told me like, oh, you know, we had a date and we fooled around and I'm like, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think I feel okay. But it was like a moment of like, I have to like sit and kind of sit back because it's just odd. And yeah. I'm going like, why am I not feeling jealous? Like what's weird about this? And then shortly after that, he started dating somebody else. And that ended up being this very intense, but very short lived relationship. So like they dated for about a month. And by the end of the month, they were saying, I love you to each other. And it was very, very intense. And then it ended very abruptly after that. And, uh, I remember meeting her and 
her and me like very much wanting to kind of like get to know her and connect with her and her basically pretending I didn't exist in the room oh, wow. <laughs> and going like, okay, uh, I want to be supportive and I'm not going to make a thing of this, but that was weird. um and I think the I think the answer honestly was that she was not she's she didn't really want to be non-monogamous or poly like she maybe wanted to have multiple partners himself herself but was not super comfortable with her partners seeing other people and so there was just some discomfort there around me existing in the first place yeah Have have you found it easier to navigate polyamory for yourself with partners who are also polyamorous or have you also seen some success meeting people who are monogamous outside of the fact that they're dating you and you're polyamorous? So at the, I would say that I have almost exclusively dated my poly people. I've seen a lot of my poly friends date monogamous people and see that ended ending mostly disastrously. Like, um, I, there are exceptions. There are absolutely exceptions. And there, you know, sometimes you've got people who are really, really interested in polyamory and have bred all the research and are ready to dive in. And that's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they haven't tried it before, like they're hundred percent on board. But if you're talking about someone who's just sort of like single and dating monogamously and, going like, oh, well, like, yeah, I'll try this for you. Like most of the time, what I've seen happen is that person then meets somebody else they want to be monogamous with and dumps the, you know, the poly partner sort of unceremoniously. And the interesting thing that's happening there is that it's, it's almost like this assumption that because you're poly and have other partners that you're not going to be deeply hurt when you, um, break up with somebody when you're dumped or, you know, and that in my experience has just been totally false. Like mm-hmm. when right. you, uh, fall in love with somebody or have a really deep, you know, good connection with somebody and that person drops out of your life for whatever reason, it, it it's just as hurtful if you're in a relationship as if you're not. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's not like people are, The thing that I always like come back to is I think there's this kind of idea in monogamous culture that you have your, you have all these different slots in your life for like friendships and family and whatever else, but you have this one slot for romantic sexual relationships. And when you break up with somebody, that slot is opened. And when you start dating somebody again, like that slot is filled, that slot's taken. And because, you know, we think of it in that way, you think, all right, well, if I'm poly, I guess I'm just adding more slots to the thing. But as long as I still, I mean, like I still have that one partner, right? So it's like, it's okay. I still have a partner, but it's not like relationships are not interchangeable. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody enters your life, they fit in your life in a very specific, unique way. Like every person in your life has a unique relationship with you, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship or something entirely different. And if that person leaves, like, it's not like somebody else can just step in and take their place. It's not really how that works, you know? Um, and so when, when you have a breakup, like that hole is there, no matter how many other partners you have. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I, you know, one, one of the parallels maybe to draw to the swinging community is you hear people talk a lot about, Oh, we went out to the club and, 
things didn't work out and whatever, we still went home with our partner, so it didn't matter. You know, on your side, it's more like, well, this was an actual a deeper relationship that this mm-hmm. person meant something to me in all these ways. And just because I have a husband or two other partners doesn't mean that when I leave that person, I'm just in, invincible. Right. Right. So. Yeah. And this is, this is something that has come up a lot for um, two partners that I have. So um, two of the partners that I have uh, right now are married to each other and they have, you know, other people that, they date uh, together. And I, I think people sometimes assume that because they have each other, that when somebody breaks up with them, that it doesn't hurt them deeply, but it does. And I like, I see the effect of that. And, right. um, you know, it, it's, it, it sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Getting broken up with or breaking up in general is not fun. Yeah, for sure. Um. I know you alluded a little bit earlier to your uh, sexuality. I guess, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So I'm queer. I am attracted to uh, all genders, or I guess pansexual might be uh, an accurate way to say it. Bisexual is also accurate. I didn't really discover that until really, really late, actually, maybe two years ago is when I really figured that out. And that's not the, the story that... I hear most queer people express. And so it's been an interesting feeling of almost feeling like a fraud in a way like, oh, how could these feelings possibly be real if I didn't know them all along somewhere deep down, right? Like I wasn't always like, oh, I have, you know, crushes on my female friends. Like I, I never did. And when I analyze it, when I really sit back and look at it, it makes total sense with how my attraction works. Because in addition to what I said before about, you know, being attracted to people I already like, part of my attraction, what I've learned over the years, fundamentally rests on the possibility that somebody is attracted to me and may express that attraction to me. And the default scripts we have in our society is that men pursue and women are the pursued. And in my life, that has ended up being true that men have pursued me and women have not. And, you know, the whole um, heteronormativity thing where you sort of just assume that everyone's hetero until proven otherwise has always also played a role into that. And like, I'm, I'm never going to assume that a woman's attracted to me unless she absolutely says so. Right. So women never approached me. Um, I just never really had to think about the idea of women as a partner because I was, uh, you know, I knew I was attracted to men cause they were approaching me and I was like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, uh, but the same wasn't happening for women. And then when I, um, started getting into polyamory, even before that, I had, I had started getting to know more people in the queer community. A lot of uh, my friends were queer women, and I was having a lot of long conversations with them and kind of just pondering that. And then the, the, the longer that I was there, the more I was sort of like just thinking about it. And it started having these like fantasies and still very much feeling like a fraud going like, am I just trying to fit in? Like what's happening here? Yeah. Like, am I trying to just make myself feel this way? (laughs) Right. And the, the, the thing that ended up happening was I would just, I was 
just more kind of open about how I was feeling at any particular time. Like, Oh, I'm kind of curious about this. And like, I don't know what that means, but I'd be interested to try this with you. And so I had a couple of those early group sex encounters were very much in part me going like, this is a thing that I think I'm interested in exploring. I don't know what it means yet. And I'm just going to be really open and honest about that with the women that are here and see how they feel about that. And they were very, you know, down, they were very game, um, because they were, you know, both uh, attracted to women as well. And having those experiences maybe go, okay, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely something going on here. And, um, and then I was like, okay, this is, I, this is becoming not just a feeling, but something that I think is real and I need to explore. And so at that point I started going on OkCupid and looking at women on OkCupid and seeing if there was somebody I'd be interested in dating. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found Bridget. Bridget is one of the two people in the, in the married couple that I mentioned, um, who I'm dating, Uh but she and I really hit it off, uh, pretty immediately. And both of us had, you know, extremely busy schedules. So it was kind of like, um, we had to schedule out a date like a long time in advance. And then dates after that were just sort of like few and far between, but we definitely were connecting really, really hard. And, um, the first time that she and I kissed and then the first time that she and I hooked up, it was, it was like, Oh, Oh, Oh yes. Yes. I am definitely attracted to women and I am very attracted to this specific woman. And, um, that was really wonderful and has continued to be wonderful. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So uh, along those same lines, it sounds like you had sort of discovered, obviously that you're interested in polyamory and then discovered a little bit later that you were bisexual. Have you had the opportunity or have you made steps to, be out about that to anybody else in your life outside of the community, the, the poly or bi community? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I would say I'm pretty, I'm pretty out about both of those things, um, everywhere except work. And I've, I've made an intentional effort to do that, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, the, the first thing that happened was, all right, well, I need to tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, my mom, um, I would say overall took it pretty well. Um, she definitely had a lot of concerns up front cause she was worried about my happiness and my well being ultimately. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, she had a lot of questions and it, you know, some of those questions were maybe not phrased in, you know, the most comfortable of ways, but she's, you know, like definitely come a long way. And like, actually she's met several, um, actually she's met all of my current relationship partners and, uh, one of my exes as well. And has been, you know, really kind of excited to, to, you know, know more about that and like to meet those people and the people that are, you know, important to me in my life. I do have sort of, um, I don't have a large extended family. And so there's not like a whole lot of people to, sort of be open with there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my dad passed away about four years ago and it's this interesting thing of like, I think he would have had a harder time with it. I think he would have come around eventually. Yeah. Um, but I think it would have been harder for him than it was for my mom. And so 
I miss him a lot, but there's also a certain amount of like, I'm, I'm sort of glad that I don't have to have that conversation with him. Yeah. Um, even though it would have been wonderful for him to, you know, meet these people that are so, you know, important in my life. Yeah. It almost would have been harder, you think for you. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's a a tough situation. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And, um, you know, I've like, uh, you know, come out to, um, all of my friends, anyone that I consider any kind of like close or even sort of medium level (laughs) friendship. Like I'm pretty open about that. And like occasionally I will just like be open with it about, you know, these things to total strangers. Like actually, um, really, really recently I was, um, traveling and just casually came out both about being poly and about being queer to the people in, in casual conversations and actually got really positive responses. Like one of the people was just very like, Oh, that's really interesting. And that's wonderful. And how does that work? And, you know, was just sort of kind of curious, um, but really like positive and supportive. And the other person's reaction was really funny because it was like, Oh wow, that's so great. That's something that I'd actually really wanted to try in one of my previous relationships. And I've read the, that book by Tristan Taramino and I spread <laughs> the ethical slut and I'm like, really, we should exchange numbers. Yeah. I could have a whole conversation with you, <laughs> um, which we did. And, you know, we're, you know, we're continuing to, to talk, which is kind of amazing. Uh, but it, like, I, I think like those have been overwhelmingly positive experiences and there's also been an overwhelmingly negative experience thrown in there as well, which was with my ex's family. Mm-hmm. Um, with my in-laws or, you know, soon to be ex-in-laws, I guess. Um, but. Oh, I your husband. Yeah. Your yeah, ex-husband, yeah. soon to be ex-husband. Correct. Yeah. So he came out to them as both queer and poly and the responses from each of the individual family members range from, well, that's cool. I don't know that I understand or agree with that, but I still love and support you to, I have lost total respect for you. Um, I don't consider you to your relationship to be valid anymore. He, they called me his roommate. They, you know, questioned his sexuality as well. And like made like inferences to like him being unable to choose and, um, just like really like closed minded, like very not loving response. And it was, so deeply upsetting for both of us really. But it was, it was one of these things where it was, it was deeply upsetting for me, but it was far more upsetting for him. And it was also his family. And like, I kind of took a step back there and was like, you know, you need to handle that. And however it is that you're going to handle that, what he ultimately uh, ended up doing, um, after a lot of really painful back and forth, uh, discussions was he cut them out of his life entirely. He just stopped talking to them and he made it clear that, you know, that the door was open if they were going to be, you know, open enough to actually wanting to learn, actually wanting to have a conversation with him about it, that he would be open to opening that door up again. But until they were ready for that, like he was done. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, yeah. But you, yeah, you kind of, you have to do that sometimes. I, you, mm-hmm. if you care about your well-being and your partner's well-being, like 
it's yeah. hard to put that or have that negativity in your life all the time. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing too that we wanted to maybe touch on is you hear a lot of times people saying, oh, well, there's no way that people can be in a successful long-term polyamorous relationship. And and I think there's maybe some people listening that will hear, oh, well, of, of course she's getting a divorce. That, that That's, the, that's <laughs> yeah. the natural order of things when people learn that they're poly um, yep. or discover that they're poly or decide to be whatever they, how you want to phrase it. Sure. I guess how do you how do you look at that and how do you maybe respond to people who that's their response if they, if they approach it that way? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, um, I have a lot of feelings about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a multi-tiered response. So I would say that, I mean, the first response right off the bat is that my marriage ending really had essentially nothing to do with polyamory itself. The reason that my marriage is ending has ended is entirely to do with the dynamics between me and my husband in conflict um, and in emotional support. So ultimately, the patterns that we had developed with each other were somewhat codependent. They were um, somewhat toxic um, and like really painful and damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a it was a really subtle thing that had been happening for a very long time, but that like the more and more we started to kind of understand ourselves and, you know, we went to like couples counseling for a long time, you know, to, to, to try and kind of work through a lot of that stuff and understand some of that stuff. And the more we tried to untangle it, the, the worse it sort of got, which is really unfortunate at the same time polyamory, I do actually kind of credit polyamory with being the catalyst for it because polyamory is what caused, at least for me, personally speaking for myself, it it caused my own emotional growth in a very positive direction. So like one of the things that I've always struggled with is setting really, you know, reasonable, um, any boundaries, <laughs> any sorts of boundaries. Like I'm, I'm the sort of person who, you know, when I'm in a relationship, I'm all in, I want to be there for you. I will do the work. I will do the emotional support. I will bend over backwards and, and like, you know, not even meet you halfway. I'll come 90%, you come 10%. And you know, you obviously like that gets really unhealthy after a while or at all. Like it's important, you know, to be able to be supportive of your par- of your partners and be, you know, like do the emotional labor and all that stuff. But I was really not great at setting boundaries for myself, both in that and also in like the sorts of thing, the sorts of ways that I was, that it was okay to treat me. And so in becoming polyamorous and doing this work on myself and discovering all of these things, because that's one of the things about you know, being non-monogamous is that you really do have to do that introspection and inner work to make it work to make it function Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. like, you you know, um, it's not relationships on default mode. It's like, it's on, on advanced mode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's all of that communication work. It's all of that. Like you don't want to react. You really want to, um, take a moment and like process and understand yourself before you respond to things and doing all of that work helped me come to a place where I understood how unhealthy the dynamic was. But the marriage ending had nothing to do with us seeing other partners, right? Like it was, it it had everything to do with 
I'm becoming a healthier person and realizing this is not a healthy relationship for me. Right. Do you think you would ever find yourself in a another like long-term hierarchical like this is my primary partner forever and these other people are now the secondaries or do you feel that you've moved to a place now where it's everyone's on an equal playing field more or less? So I would say that like for me that taps into what I think is like a fundamental misunderstanding that I think people have about hierarchy and egalitarian polyamory. So I consider myself pretty egalitarian polyamory. I'm not interested in hierarchy. That does not mean that I am not interested in prioritizing certain people um, in my life or that everybody in my life, I am going to give equal time and attention and you know, resources to, cause that's mm-hmm. not how any relationship works. Right. Like, you know, as much as you might want to believe that, like we could live in a world where everybody is just equally important to you all the time in all ways. That's actually, it's fundamentally the opposite actually. Right. Like every single relationship you have with every single person is unique. Mm-hmm. Right. And that means it's going to look differently from every single other relationship that you have. And do I want to have like a, a partner that I share life goals with, who I cohabitate with, who I'm I'm nesting with? Yes, absolutely. I'd be open having multiple partners that I did all of those things with, or living in a household where I'm living with a nesting partner and their other nesting partner. I, I I'm open to a lot of different configurations that that look like that. But I'm what I'm not interested in doing is saying, all right, I have decided you are the person, and because you are the person, we are going to establish this very strict structure that cannot be breached and cannot change and cannot be broken. And everyone else who tries to question it or wants, you know, things from us that don't fit into that structure are interlopers and they must be, you know, pushed away like that, that I'm not interested in doing because to me that doesn't feel humanizing. Everybody matters. Everybody's feelings matter. Everybody who I date, I want the conversation to be an open one. That doesn't mean that the decisions I make are necessarily going to be the decisions that, you know, that they would ultimately like want. Like if somebody says like, oh, well, I want to be able to sleep over your house twice a week. And I look at that and I say, well, you know, like that's not what I want. Just because, you know, I might be sleeping over somebody else's house twice a week or somebody's sleeping over my house twice a week, like, doesn't mean that, you know, anyone who asks is going to get the exact same access by default. But it does mean that the conversation is always on the table and that the the conversation, that the situation is always fluid. And, like, and for me, that also doesn't mean that I just sort of am willing to just drop people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if somebody's really important to me, they are really important to me. If I'm committed to somebody, I'm doing the work. And so if there's somebody new in my life um, who I'm really excited about and interested in and it's all sorts of NRE feelings and I'm like just wanting to like pour all this emotional energy into it, like I'm also very conscious of the existing things that I have in my life, the existing relationships that I have in my life and wanting to affirm those and, and not breaking the commitments that I've made to those. And and if I am having changing feelings or if I'm having problems or whatever else that I say, Hey, like I want to address this with you, the person that I'm having that feeling with. 
Right. I think a lot of people will look at this and say it's it's very hard for them to find enough time and energy for one partner, let alone being able to spread that um, um, around to multiple partners. Yeah. Have you mm-hmm. have you found sort of the the sweet spot in terms of the right number of partners that's you know enough but not too many, or have you found that it's just you you have infinite capabilities to <laughs> to, to build Spread relationships. Your time. Yeah, I would say I have infinite capability to care about people. Definitely not infinite time or energy. I I do think that I probably have um, a larger capacity to maintain relationships than many people I know. And I don't, I don't like, I'm not saying like, that's like, Oh my God, look how great I am. I just, it's more just that the, the way that I experience life and the way that I form connections is so deeply powerful and important to me that I just in like instinctively invest a lot of time into that. And I have a lot of energy for that. And I prioritize that over, you know, maybe other sorts of things that you could spend time on. Um, and so as a result, like I, I feel like I do have like room in my life for a number of serious partners. I don't know if I've figured out what that ideal sweet spot is yet. (laughs) I, you know, I mean, right now I would say like, I have, um, I'm, I'm dating this married couple, Bridget and Dustin. I have, you know, this, this person that I've been dating for uh, a little over two years now, Aaron, who was on your podcast um, and all of those relationships are, you know, really deeply important to me. I've just started uh, dating uh, a woman and I'm still sort of feeling out where like what that might end up looking like. I've been going on a lot of first dates lately, um, and like exploring, uh, brand new connections and, I am definitely, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of these moments in my life where I've just exited this relationship where I was feeling constrained in a lot of ways. And I was also pouring an enormous amount of emotional energy into that relationship, into making it work, into making him feel valued and important and special. Mm-hmm. And, and I was doing that while maintaining all of these other relationships fairly successfully, I think. Although, you know, anytime you're having um, emotional turmoil, that's going to have a, an effect on other relationships for sure. But now that I have this enormous like amount of energy sort of freed up, I'm going like, oh, oh, there's so many cute people that exist in the world. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I'll go on a date with you. Okay, I'll text with you for hours. Like, oh, okay. And... Uh, exactly now I, in this moment in time, I'm like, okay, well, this is going to have to like settle down. (laughs) I need to figure out who, who it is that, um, I'm probably going to be interested in spending more time with and, and maybe prioritize them because it's definitely not a sustainable thing that I'm doing right now. Um, (laughs) a lot of first dates and everything that's, yeah, sounds fun, but but it's a lot. Yes. Yeah. It's both. Uh, it's definitely both, but, um, it feels kind of wonderful too. And like, I'm kind of giving myself permission to really sort of explore that and enjoy that because I am, you know, finally in this situation where like, 
when I meet somebody new and I'm excited about them and I talk to them, I immediately go to my partners and I go like, Oh my gosh, I met somebody new. Like I'm so excited about this person. They're like, Oh yay. We're so happy for you. Tell me all the details. Like that's so cool. And that was not really the experience I had with my husband. And so the idea that I can form these exciting new connections and that the people who I care about and who care about me are really excited for me. The idea that these, you know, the people that I care about and who care about me are really excited for me um, is just kind of revelatory and uh, just really wonderful. Yeah. I think that's really cool that you've given yourself permission to kind of just have fun right now and, and explore new people and in a time in your life where you have the ability to do that and you haven't in the past. Um, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, For sure. I, I wanted to ask you too, I think people might be curious, if, especially if they're not familiar with polyamory, how their dynamic works with you dating another couple. And I wanted to see if you could just talk about how that works for you guys. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I started dating Bridget first and the thing that happened there was, you know, I'm, I'm going on dates with Bridget. I'm really connecting with her and I'm super excited to meet at, at that point. Uh, they were, still, they weren't engaged yet. So her partner, uh, Dustin and I meet Dustin. I'm like, Oh, he's really great too. And then he and I start messaging and start kind of establishing this really lovely rapport. And occasionally what would happen is Bridget and I would have a date and he just would happen to be home. And so then the three of us would hang out for a while. And that dynamic was really like fun and enjoyable. And then at some point that sort of evolved in this really organic, interesting way into this triad where I, Bridget and I still go on dates individually occasionally. Dustin and I have not, but um, have talked about it and are definitely sort of open to that if schedules sort of align and, and everything, you know, works out. And it's not something we're like pushing for, or, like actively working towards either. Like, and then I'd say the majority of the time we spend together is the three of us together. And it, it's, uh, it's kind of wonderful in a way that I didn't really even understood existed. If that makes any sense. Like it's, it's really beautiful to feel actually completely surrounded by people who deeply care, um, about you and love you. Yeah. And to then be able to provide that for the other people in the room. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, like the, the threesome sex is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a side benefit, a side amazing benefit. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's really interesting because, um, you know, I, I don't think triads are necessarily as common. I could be totally wrong um, than some of the other relationship dynamics. So yeah. I think it's interesting when you talk to someone who's in a very successful one, how, how it works and how... Um, awesome it can be. Yeah. I mean, and it is like, it is more complicated, right? When you're talking about a triad, you're talking about not just three different relationships. You're talking about like seven different dynamics that you're managing. You're talking about each of the, like, so for example, I have a relationship with Bridget. Bridget has a relationship with Dustin. Dustin has a relationship with me, but then Bridget and I have a relationship with Dustin. Dustin and I have a relationship with Bridget. And Bridget and Dustin have a relationship with me. And then the the three of us together have our own dynamic. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And, you know, 
I think that it, it's tricky when you get into triad territory because you have a lot, a lot of people coming from like a unicorn hunting perspective, which is very like, we have our existing relationship, come and join and be our third. And it, that can be a really dehumanizing thing for the third person, for the person coming into that relationship, um, because they're sort of expected to kind of fit this mold, but not be, not get the benefits of the the same benefits of the, the relationship that the couple is experiencing, right? Like the couple is recognized by society as being valid. And the third person is the interloper. The third person is, you know, the side piece, you know, where else. And a lot of the times in those situations, that third person has rules or expectations placed on them that maybe they're not aware of, or, um, that are deeply, you know, unfair and dehumanizing. And, I, you see a lot of really disastrous situations come out of that. Like things like expectations that everybody is going to feel the exact same amount of feelings for each person in there. Like that's not how emotions work. That's not how relationships work. But I think I've been extremely lucky in that regard because I mean, and again, like I think a lot of that is because this triad situation developed in such an organic way. Like none of us were trying for it, right? Like none of us yeah. were like, this is what we were going for. Like it just sort of naturally evolved into that. And, but then in addition to that, Bridget and Dustin are also both extremely introspective, caring, giving people who are very aware of the, the dynamics in the room at any given time and um, are also very like open to, you know, discussion and conversation and, uh, you know, I, I feel really lucky in that regard. And like, so for me personally, like whatever is complicated about it is a million times worth it because, you know, it, it does end up being so wonderful too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's, it's important too, to say that, you know, there are people out there, there are women out there who are just strictly looking for to be that, that guest star for an evening or once a month or whatever. And, yeah. And as long as those boundaries and expectations are negotiated, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, f yeah. for you, it sounds like you, the goal is much deeper. You're, you're much more intertwined. And, and that's obviously an, a, an acceptable way to do it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the trick with that is like that everybody's very clear up front about what it is that they're looking for and what it yep. is that they're hoping yeah. to get out of something and that everyone is treated with a, a you know, a basic amount of human respect, you know, yeah. like, yeah. like, I'm like, I'm assuming you three yeah. sit down and talk about at some point, or at least in some dynamic about how your relationship works all together too. And yeah. how, and have that all out on the table, which yeah, like Finn was saying, like, yeah, just having, boundaries expectations whatever out and right like, it's not those two deciding what your place is for them right it's the three exactly. of you deciding how you yes. all fit together exactly yes it, that's exactly it yep yeah mm -hmm. so you mentioned that the three-way sex was a huge benefit of these types <laughs> of relationships <laughs> Reaching for a transition here. Good, good uh, one, good one. <laughs> have, you, have you seen any other major benefits that, that, that you've discovered since you started doing this? And on the flip side, have there been some drawbacks and difficulties that you've experienced? Yeah, obviously you've mentioned some of them, but... 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, like the, the big benefits come from having like a network of people, a, a support system, a community. Um, I think one of the weird, uh, like side benefits that I did not expect is just from a social perspective, like, not even from a dating perspective, but meeting friends as adults is hard. We've had that conversation before, too. It is hard. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like it's this awkward thing of, oh, well, I ran into you into you at this social event. How do I transition that into an actual friendship? And there's also this idea that like people only hang out in couples when they do hang out. Or if you happen to not be in a couple, then you're the third wheel or it's awkward. You don't get invited to things. There's a lot of like weird dynamics about friendships as adults. And, and you know, the other thing of like having the girls night and the boys night, and it's like weird or uncomfortable or bad. If like you're friends with a man mm-hmm. yeah, and just want to spend time with them. And so polyamory has been, kind of amazing for me. I'm an extrovert. I absolutely need that social energy for, uh, myself to thrive and having the opportunity to meet so many different kinds of people because you end up, you know, like you'll date somebody, you'll go on dates and you friend them on Facebook. And then you see this mutual friend and you're like, Oh, I recognize you from that thing. And like you get invited to some poly barbecue and then you go and you meet a bunch of people there, you know? And then the, the other part of it is like when you meet poly men who, and I say men specifically because of course, like the the cultural kind of expectation of male female friendships, um, as adults is that they're, you know, they're no nos and that like, or that, you know, it's always going to be sexual or, you know, that there's always a problem, but, you know, meeting a, a, a poly man that I am not interested in dating, but forming a genuine friendship connection with, which has happened a couple of times, is really kind of wonderful in and of its own because it's like, Oh, well, we know if we wanted to date, we'd be doing it. Yeah. So we can actually just really enjoy this friendship on a purely platonic level. And there's, there's no sort of like stress or expectations about like, oh no, what if us, one of us has feelings or, you know, whatever else, you know, the case may be. So in a way it almost makes those friendships more, it can, I mean, obviously feelings differences can exist in any kind of friendships, but like, if it is truly like a friendship, that's just a friendship, like it can be this really sort of freeing thing of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this, this, I can just let this be what it is. And and that's wonderful. And, you know, aside from that, just, I think a healthier attitude towards relationships in general, understanding boundaries better, um, both from like, setting my own and also, um, understanding how best to support and respect other people's boundaries and getting to grow in that process has been, you know, hugely beneficial and, you know, more love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in terms of drawbacks, it, you know, obviously it does require a lot of energy in terms of communication, like, processing is a thing that happens all the time. And so if that's something that really exhausts you, it's going to be tough. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for me personally, I have had to do a lot of really confronting the things that make me feel insecure about myself and work on either improving those things or work on feeling comfortable in those things about myself. And then like a weird kind of thing that has come up for me sometimes 
is this um, this sense of, um, I like to call it the tragedy of the commons problem. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about property that's community property, and I don't mean to compare human beings to property because it's not at all what I mean, but <laughs> um, if, it's, it's an analogy. If you're talking about community property where nobody fully owns the property, um, but everyone has access to it, unless somebody really takes ownership of it and takes charge, people are not necessarily going to respect that property or that space Yeah, because they assume somebody else will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's going to do the, you know, if you're talking about um, a, a park, who's going to pick up the litter, who's going to mow the lawn, who's going to water, you know, do all the, the sod, all of that stuff, the upkeep, the maintenance. Um, if something goes disastrously wrong, who's going to run in to try and fix it? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in situations where you have multiple partners, if there's not like a whole lot of good communication happening all around, you might run into a situation where everyone assumes you're getting support from somebody else and then you end up not getting the support you need. This actually happened to me one time I was experiencing a medical issue and ended up in the ER and it wasn't a deeply serious medical issue, but it was a really vulnerable and scary and difficult thing mm-hmm. that I was experiencing. And I was in a lot of emotional distress and I was dating three people at the time and nobody was able to be there. <laughs> and it was so hard. It was really rough. And, you know, and the thing that that comes down to honestly is that they all wanted to be there and life circumstances made it tough for that to happen. But also there was a lack of communication about, you know, what was truly needed and what the expectations were, um, of those relationships. And the thing that also really kind of drilled into me was a sense of, even if you're in a monogamous committed relationship, sometimes you do have to be your own advocate. Like sometimes you have to be the person that's there for yourself. Like you, can't expect anyone else to fill all of those needs. And sometimes you're going to absolutely need help. And like, sometimes you're going to need that help and you're not going to get it no matter what, like no matter how many wonderful people are in your life. And, and that's nobody's fault, you know, like that's not, that's not something that you're owed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that everybody deserves, but that's not something that anybody specifically owes you. And, you know, it's, it's this interesting thing that I'm definitely wrestling with right now because I, um, I recently bought a house when my husband and I were still together, we bought it together, but it's mine now or, uh, will be shortly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the house has kind of turned into something of a money pit. It's just been an enormous sap on my, uh, energy and financial resources. And I have these moments of going like, this is all on me. I, I have, I mean, I have people in my life who are helping and who are stepping up and, and being supportive, but like, ultimately it's my responsibility and it's my, it's something that I have to handle on my own. And the truth is that when I was married, that was mostly still the case, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and like I could be in a relationship again someday where it could feel more like a partnership and where I could hand off some of that where we could share it. It could be our thing together. It could be our project together, but sometimes things do just kind of fall on you. And, you know, I think it's hard, but ultimately a good thing to, you know, realize that like you have the ability to be your own best advocate. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I think that's really cool and makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, usually at the end of the, um, I mean, I mean, I say that when you <laughs> when you started, uh, you mentioned like about ten months, eleven months into your journey in polyamory, you did a whole bunch of reading, and you still do. Uh, are there resources that you would like to share with listeners uh, that you? Uh, I guess, yeah, that you love or think are really valuable, whether they're books, podcasts, websites, whatever. Yeah. So um, More Than Two was definitely like my first, the first book that I read that I was like, oh, okay, I'm really getting this. I'm, I'm connecting this. This is telling, this is teaching me a lot and it's making a lot of sense. I would say Multi Amory is probably my favorite uh, poly podcast. They like, and you know, like I've done a lot of listening to poly, Polyamory Weekly um, and really enjoyed that. Um, but the nice thing about multi-amory is that the hosts are a bit younger and it's sort of like more of a, my generation sort of resource that I appreciate a lot. One of my other favorite resources is poly role models by, uh, Kevin Patterson. And like, that's a really great, like it's a, it's a blog series and it goes like, it's basically just both, you know, famous and kind of more everyday, um, people talking about, their own poly experiences and what they do well, what they don't do well, what their experiences have been. And it's like, like a short format sort of thing, but um, it's there's a lot of focus on diversity and inter- intersectionality and coming from many different walks of life in that. And so it's it's a really wonderful view into kind of the, the true spectrum of like how people sort of handle their stuff. Yeah. Right. And um, I love kimchi cuddles. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, I really enjoyed from like, just like a fun, like memoir perspective. Um, I really enjoyed reading the husband swap, which had kind of a, a, a sad ending, but it was definitely a really interesting look into people starting polyamory for the first time and what that ended up looking like for them. And the, the happy part of it at the end is that, you know, the people didn't walk away from polyamory just because that particular situation didn't work out, but. Yeah. Um, it's a cool story. Yeah. And, uh, I also really liked the game changer. I have, I have so many, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I could probably list off like a bunch more, but those are probably the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. Okay, cool. Well, we'll definitely put all of those links to those resources in the show notes so that listeners oh. can go find them. Uh, awesome. I realized too, one question we didn't cover, uh, either at any point here was whether you guys and uh, you have any children. And I wanted to ask that because I know that can make things a little bit more tricky in uh, polyamorous relationships or open marriages. Right. Yeah. Um, no, we don't have any children, which um, is probably a good thing considering, you know, we're splitting up. It's a, it's, you know, it's a thing that we had talked about off and on over the years and, and had gone and, wildly, you know, varying directions on at any given time, I'm still sort of in a place now where I would be very open to adopting. I would be very open to fostering kids um, with a new partner. And one thing that has really kind of appealed to me lately is the idea of being a co-parent with other people who are having kids. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily being a biological parent, but being an important parental figure in a kid's life that can help, you know, share that, that burden and also share that joy. You know, yeah. um, I think 
like for a number of reasons, I think that biological pregnancy would be really, really tough on me is probably the the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly not going to, yeah, yeah. And I'm certainly not going to kind of venture into that world without at least one partner, if not more than one to kind of like share the, um, the responsibility with, because I think that's a really tough road. But, um, I've seen like a number of people do the co-parenting thing to some degree or another, um, with multiple partners. And like, that's always seemed like a really cool, uh, thing to me that I'd be interested in exploring. So, yeah. Thank you. I think that was a helpful little tidbit I meant to ask earlier and just forgot. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so I think something that people might be curious about. And then I guess, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Or the listeners, since we're doing it for them. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would say that, um, like, I think the, um, the the biggest thing for me is that, like, polyamory, openness, non-monogamy is absolutely not for everyone, right? Like, I am not an evangelist. I don't think it's more evolved. I don't think it's, you know, the only way. But I think that... I think we all have more capacity to care about people than we give ourselves credit for and more capacity for different kinds of relationships. And I think that just like, even if, you know, somebody is monogamous and wants to stay that way, the idea that we all can approach our relationships with intentionality, with like a very open, with opened eyes, um, I think is a, a really cool and valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us and a lot of deep feelings. And it's, it's awesome to have people who are willing to do that. So thank you. We appreciate sure. it. Sure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you guys. And don't be a stranger. If you ever want to come back on the show, let us know and we will, cool. <laughs> we'll schedule you in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great evening, and we will talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's us again. In case you forgot. They were probably hoping we were gone. I know. God damn, I thought thought this was going to be the one where they didn't come back. (laughs) We'll keep it short and sweet today. Right? Yeah, so thank you to Amy for everything. We really appreciate it. And next week, we've got an interview with another fellow podcasters coming all the way from Perth, Australia. Yeah, down under. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, Swinging out west. So it's an awesome interview. They're really fantastic people. And we're super excited to be sharing that with you all in T-minus seven days. Yeah, stay tuned for next week. Unless you listen to this like on Thursday, then it'll be six days. Oh, or, or Friday. Then it'll be five. You want to do the whole week? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. We'll see you guys in a week. Bye, everyone.